0: Happy New Year. It's 2015, 2014 is behind us, and the road of 2015 stretches off into the future for us. Now as we look at 2015, it's good to recognize that this new year is a gift from God. It's a gift from God to each one of us. It's a gift of life. It's a gift of time. It's a gift to your family. It's a gift to our church. In this new year, God wants to draw you closer to himself. He wants to give you more hope, more of his love, more of his peace. He's got good things planned for you in 2015. And whenever God gives us a gift, whenever God blesses us, it's not just to keep that blessing to ourselves, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. And so God is going to bless us in 2015 as we walk with him so that we can bless others in this coming year. I'd like us to watch a short video about the new year called All Things New. So as we look into the new year, our hope is not based on ourselves. Our hope is not based on the new year's resolutions we're going to make or not make, is it? Our hope is based on Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on him. Jesus is the one who's given us this new year. He's the one who has the plan for us to follow, and he's the one who can help us live for him in this new year. Now, our current message series is called Living in Light of the End. We're living in the last days, and the Bible tells us that in the last days, darkness and evil will increase. And so, I cannot promise you that in 2015, we're going to see less evil, less wickedness, and less darkness than we've seen in 2014. In fact, it may well increase. But I can assure you that God's light is going to shine brighter and brighter for those who are following Him. That's what I can assure you of. I believe that in 2015, the distinction between... Righteousness and wickedness is going to grow clearer. The distinction between light and darkness is be- going to become more apparent. The gray, murky area in the middle is going to begin to shrink. People will be more and more called on to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Those that are standing for Jesus and those who are not are going to become clearer. Proverbs 4:18 and 19. And the scriptures are written out in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take that out and to follow along with me. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says, The path of the righteous, and if you're a believer today, you're righteous. The Bible says that you are righteous. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know What makes them stumble. And so these verses contrast the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. The path of the righteous in 2015 will shine ever brighter as we follow the Lord, as we follow His direction, as we follow His purpose. The way of the wicked will be plunged into deeper and deeper darkness. When the wicked wander in the darkness, they stumble, they make all kinds of mistakes, they fall, they hurt themselves. And it's not a pretty picture. And so in this new year, don't get upset. Don't get discouraged at the wickedness, at the evil that is around us. Don't cry. Don't pull your hair out because of the way of the wicked that we're going to see, that we're going to be aware of. Press on to walk unto the path of the righteous. It says, until the full light of day. When is that? It's when Jesus returns. Our path is going to get brighter and brighter until Jesus Christ himself returns. Now, our message today is called Accelerating the End. The end is going to come when? At the very end of the last days. And the end of the last days is marked by the return of Jesus Christ. He promised to return. He's going to return and that marks the end of time as we we know it. Now, we don't know when Jesus will return. We don't know the exact time, but it could be at any time. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? It's a question. Why is it taking so long? It's been over 2,000 years. He's promised to return. It hasn't happened yet. Why is it taking so long? Is there anything that you and I can do to accelerate his coming. Well, this morning we're going to look at an incredible passage from 2 Peter chapter 3. All of these questions or more are going to be clearly answered by God's word. And I believe this message is going to set the stage for each of us individually and for our church as a whole as we move into the year 2015. The letter 2 Peter was written by the apostle Peter, was written shortly before Peter was martyred for his faith. The Holy Spirit gave Peter some very important things to communicate to the people of his day and to communicate to us in St. Louis in the year 2015, 2,000 years later. The first thing that God wants us to understand is that scoffers will come. We're going to go right through the passage today in 2 Peter 3, beginning with verse 3. It says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. What is a scoffer? Well, a scoffer is somebody who scoffs, somebody who mocks, somebody who expresses disdain at somebody else or something else. And here, scoffers are those who scoff at God, they scoff at Jesus Christ, they scoff at the Bible, they scoff at church. Um... they scoff at anybody who is seeking to foul the Lord. They are unbelievers. Scoffers are unbelievers who are attacking God's agenda in the earth. They're attacking the things of God. They're attacking the people of God because they have their own ungodly agendas that they want to advance. They have their own, as this verse says, their own evil desires that they want to follow. And of course, God's word speaks against those evil desires, and so they scoff at the commands in the direction of God's Word. anti-Christian scoffers have increased exponentially in recent years. They're going to continue to increase in 2015. So don't, don't be upset. Don't be surprised. Don't tear your hair out. Don't cry. Don't weep. Don't complain. Don't grumble about them. It's going to happen. It's going to get worse in this year. They are everywhere. I was just reading... The front page article on Newsweek, December 23rd, 2014, was entitled, The Bible, So Misunderstood It's a Sin. Don't read the article, okay? <laughs> Don't read it. I hate to even mention it. It just goes through all kinds of things by some person, a nameless person, who doesn't understand the Bible and attacks it from many, many uh, different ways and tries to advance an ungodly agenda. That's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Headline, story, and Newsweek. As we go through the passage today in 2 Peter, we're going to see an example from Peter how he addresses scoffers, how he deals with scoffers. Now, essentially, what scoffers are saying is that science rules the world. In verse 4, it says, They, scoffers, will say, Where is this coming he promised? Speaking of the second coming that Jesus promised. He said, I will come back again. So the scoffers say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Very interesting. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Basically, scoffers deny the supernatural. They deny that there is any supernatural element to our world at all. They question the second coming of Jesus Christ. It hasn't happened yet. Basically, they're saying it hasn't happened. It's never going to happen. Those were just words by a man who said he's coming again. He's never coming again. It hasn't happened in 2,000 years. It's not going to happen. Scoffers say that scientific laws rule the world from creation onward. Everything just continues as it always has. The laws rule. There is no supernatural coming into our world. Natural laws rule the world. There is no supernatural intervention from God. And this view of scoffers is very, very prevalent in our day. It essentially holds that science can explain everything. There is no need for God. There is no evidence for God, they would say. Everything can be explained by scientific laws. God is simply a crutch that some people use to help them get through life. You ever heard that before? No need or evidence for God. In essence, science is treated as a religion. You see, everybody has a religion. And those that don't believe in God or hold to the God of the Bible have another religion. And for many, it is science. It's used to explain everything. And this view is called scientism, uh, kind of a worship of science, a worship of knowledge, a worship of man exalting himself, no need for God. It's also called uniformitarianism. Everything just continues the same. There's no supernatural intervention by God at any point in history. Uh, Everything just goes along to the laws of natural science. Now, there's nothing wrong with science. I was trained as a scientist. I have a PhD in chemistry. I worked as a scientist for many years. There's nothing wrong with science in its proper place. Science helps us understand and be stewards of the world that God gave to us. Science is useful. Science is a gift from God. But science cannot explain everything. Science cannot give us morality. Science cannot give us ethics. Science cannot help us make the difficult decisions that have to be made. Science cannot explain God to us. God has revealed himself in his Bible, and we need his revelation in order to understand how to live life. So let's see how Peter addresses these scoffers. He says that scoffers forget that God created and destroyed the world. Verse five and six, but they, speaking of the scoffers, deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, underline that, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So Peter here points out two supernatural acts, two supernatural interventions in history that scoffers ignore. He states that long ago, both the heavens and earth were created, not by natural means, but by the supernatural word of God. That's how everything was created that was created. They were created by God's word, not by natural or scientific processes. Secondly, Peter points out that God supernaturally judged the entire world through a flood. You remember there was a flood? And the only life that was saved was contained in an ark that God commanded Noah to build and Noah and his family and the animals were kept safe in the ark. Two supernatural events that scoffers deliberately forget, choose not to believe, creation and the flood. And both of these events are under great attack today by scoffers. Finally, scoffers don't understand that judgment is coming. Peter says in verse 7, by the same word, God's word, the word that created the heavens and earth, the word that brought judgment in the form of a flood in Noah's day, by that same word, the present heavens and earth in which we live are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And so as we've been talking about in these messages on the end times, the world as we know it is going to end one day with a supernatural intervention. It's not just going to be a flame out of our sun or whatever might happen naturally, there's going to be supernatural intervention when Jesus Christ returns. And when he returns, he's going to bring judgment. Judgment by fire to purge his kingdom of all unrighteousness and evil. So in these last days, scoffers are going to increase. Now, how does Peter combat these scoffers? Well, he combats the falsehood of these scoffers with the truth of God's word. And that's what we must do as well. We don't get in big arguments with them. We just state the truth of God's word and allow God's spirit to work in people's hearts because even scoffers can be saved. And so the danger of scoffers is that they will undermine the faith of those who do not know God's word very well. They'll say, well, God's word means this. It says this. It's not really true. But people that don't know God's word will say, oh, I didn't realize that. I can't trust God's word. God's word is full of contradictions. It I don't understand it. Maybe I shouldn't believe it anymore. And so scoffers can cause those who are weak in their faith, who don't have a good knowledge of God's word, to get shaky in their faith. Scoffers may even persuade some who are considering the claims of God, considering the Bible, and they'll persuade them to not consider it or from continuing to seek it. Ultimately, or unfortunately, scoffers have invaded the church itself. Scoffers in the church hold to some teachings in the Bible and so have some credibility, but they deny that God is a supernatural God. They deny that God moves supernaturally today. They say that everything today still just operates by science. Oh, God moved supernaturally in the past. He no longer moves supernaturally today. Everything is ruled by natural law. That's not what the Bible teaches And so in the last days that we're living in, we need God's supernatural power in our lives to take a stand and to live for Jesus. So Peter goes on to teach that God exists outside of time. He says in verse 8, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, what's a long time for us is not a long time for God. 2,000 years, is that a long time to to you? That's a pretty long time to me. It's many, many generations. We say, oh, it's a long time that Jesus hasn't returned yet. But it's not long for God. God has always existed outside of time. That's a hard concept to grasp, isn't it? Because we're so time bound. But God exists out of time. And the return of Christ is going to happen, not at some predetermined date in the future, as some believe. We're going to see in the next verse, the return of Christ will definitely happen. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ is going to return. He promised he would. He is going to return. But it will only happen when a certain condition is met. And I don't believe the date is even determined by God. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? A very, very important question, and here is the answer. Jesus is waiting until more people repent. Very, very important verse, 2 Peter three nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to return, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The scoffers say that since Christ hasn't returned yet, he's not going to return. 2,000 years hasn't returned, it's not going to happen. Others say that since Christ hasn't returned in 2,000 years, something's wrong. He's just taking too long. This is really slow. That's making me begin to doubt. But here, Peter gives us the reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet. The reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is that He is being patient. He's giving people more time to repent. He's giving more people time to become believers. Because when Jesus returns, he brings judgment with him. Judgment comes as well at the return of Christ. When Jesus returns, each person will be permanently fixed in the spiritual state in which they are. They'll be fixed in their state of belief. Either they are a believer in Jesus Christ, or they are not a believer in Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, people will be fixed in one of these two states. The believers will spend eternity with Jesus forever in a place called heaven. The unbelievers, those who have not repented and not given their lives to Jesus Christ, will spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment called hell. And since we know now the reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet, we'll see in a minute the incredible truth that you and I can do something to influence the timing of Jesus' return. When Jesus returns, he'll come unexpectedly in judgment. It says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And so, Jesus' return, the day of the Lord, is going to happen suddenly, unexpectedly, just like a thief breaking into a house. A thief breaking into a house doesn't announce his arrival, does he? So, all of a sudden, boom, he breaks in when nobody expects it. Uh, It's very shocking, it's very unexpected. And Jesus' return will be accompanied by the judgment of God. Now, in Noah's day, did the people of Noah's day expect God's judgment? Noah said, it's going to rain. Says, it's never rained, Noah. Everything is going to keep on as it's always been. It's never rained before. It's not never flooded before. It's not going to flood. Noah says, I'm building an ark. What did they say about Noah? You're crazy. It's never rained. It's never floated. What are you spending your life building an ark? Noah said, I believe God. He said, it's going to rain. It's going to flood. God's judgment is coming. Oh, Noah. And one day the ark was completed and the rains came, the floods came. And the people beat against that ark and wanted to get in, but the door was shut. And everyone perished except Noah and his family. Well, God's judgment on the world in the time of Noah was by water. And when Jesus returns, the judgment will not be by water, it will be by fire. Everything that's evil, everything that's contaminated by sin, everything that's unholy, everything that's ungodly will be destroyed by fire. And that includes unbelievers. Now, contrary to what some teach, destruction here does not mean annihilation, ceasing to exist. It means eternal death, forever existing, but separated from God in a place of eternal torment in eternal fire. Now, God doesn't desire for anybody to perish that way. It's an incredibly terrible fate. And that's why many people don't even believe in hell anymore. It's it's almost too terrible to comprehend. But it's real. It's true. And God doesn't desire for anybody to perish in such a way. And so he is patiently waiting. That's why Jesus hasn't returned. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He wants people to repent and become believers in Jesus Christ. But only those who repent are going to escape God's judgment in eternity. And so this is a very important truth for every person, whether you're a believer or unbeliever here today. For the unbeliever, every day of your life is a gift from God. It's a gift to you given to seek after God and to find Him. That's the ultimate purpose of this life, to seek after God and find Him, because this life is just is just a short period of time before eternity in which we can either find God or not find Him. And so life for each and every person on this earth is a gift. For the unbeliever, it's a gift. They have time to find God, repent, and put their faith and trust in Him. For the believer, every day of our lives is an opportunity from God to live for Him and to help rescue those who do not yet know him. It's an opportunity to make a difference for eternity in people's lives. God gives each person an allotted time to live. God's word says it's appointed, upon, um, appointed to men once to die and then the judgment. There's no reincarnation. There's no all kinds of funny things. Uh, when you die, you're going to meet your maker. You're going to be permanently in the state in which you died, either as a believer or or an unbeliever. And during the time we have, it's an opportunity to believe in Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. And once we've received it, to offer that gift to others who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Peter puts it this way. We are told to live a holy and godly life. He says in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, speaking of the judgment of God that comes when Jesus returns, the judgment by fire, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? When we look ahead to the future, this incredible future that is going to happen when Jesus returns, how should we live our lives here and now? Well, we ought to live holy and godly lives. It should impact our lives today. That's why it's important to study what's going to happen in the future because it should impact how we live today. Our understanding of the future from God's Word should motivate us to live holy and godly lives right here and now in St. Louis in the year 2015. Why? Well, first of all, we're preparing in this life to live in eternity with God forever in a perfect place called heaven. So it would be a good idea to begin to live holy lives for God right here and now, to grow in our relationship with Him. And secondly... How we live in this life can incredibly accelerate the coming of Jesus. Let's look at verse 12. I begin the whole sentence uh, in verse 11. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Underline that phrase, speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. God's word is saying that you and I have something to do with the timing of Jesus' return. We can actually speed, hasten, or accelerate the coming of Jesus in the day of the Lord. Now, how can that possibly be? I thought this was all predetermined. Well, remember, why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Jesus hasn't returned yet because he's waiting for more people to repent and become believers. And as we are witnesses for Jesus, as we lead more people to become believers, we accelerate the return of Jesus. We move it closer to our time. You see, in one day, there's going to be a generation that sees the final contingent of believers come to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to return. On that day, even the heavens will be destroyed by fire. All the elements will melt in intense heat. And yet out of God's judgment, something wonderful will be created. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, Jesus promised, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And so when Jesus Christ returns, The present heaven and earth will be destroyed, but God will create a new heaven and a new earth. This new heaven and new earth will be the home of righteousness, the home for every believer to walk and talk with God. It's going to be a place with no sin, no evil, no wickedness, a place of perfection. It will be paradise restored. No temptation, no sin, no evil will ever intrude again. Heaven will come to earth and will be our home for eternity. And so what can we expect in 2015? We can expect an increase in scoffers. Scoffing at the Bible, at Jesus, at believers, at the church. And so don't let them get to you. Don't get all up in a tizzy. Oh my, what is going on? This happens a lot. Just read the Christian media. Oh, what's the world coming to? It's going to happen. God wants us to simply respond with the truth of God's word. Don't give up. Don't become discouraged. Combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. Jesus is coming back again. He's simply being patient. He's giving people more time to repent. And when he returns, he's going to come in judgment, destroying this present world, creating a new heavens and new earth. And we should look forward to that. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be our home forever. So what should our priorities be in 2015? Well, in light of what we've learned today, we should make every effort to live holy and godly lives, consecrated to God, seeking to walk more closely with him in this new year. And as we lead such lives, we can actually accelerate Jesus' return. We can bring it closer to our time by leading other people to become believers in Jesus Christ. Each person that becomes a believer brings Jesus' return a little bit closer. Don't get discouraged by the scoffers or the evil that will continue. Instead, look forward to the new heavens and new earth. Every longing of our hearts will be fulfilled and we'll spend eternity with Jesus in his presence. So how can we prepare for Jesus coming if you're not a believer here this morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, the first step is to repent and commit your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're going to pray a simple prayer here in a minute, a prayer in which you admit that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things, a prayer in which you believe that Jesus died to forgive your sins and rose from the dead, and you commit your life to following Him and His plan for your life as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. If you're not sure that you're a believer here this morning, I'd encourage you to pray this prayer. A simple prayer, but a prayer prayer of profound importance and significance in which you commit your entire life, in this life and for eternity, to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Pray something like this in your own mind. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've been living the way I wanted to live and not the way you want me to live. Please forgive me. I commit my life to following Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross. Took my sins upon himself. Paid the price. Rose from the dead on the third day. And I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today I thank you for giving us your guidance as we enter this new year of 2015. Teach us how to respond rightly to the scoffers that are all around us, to not get upset, to not get in a tizzy, to not get angry, but to respond simply with love and the truth of your word. And we pray, God, as we do, that you would even touch their hearts. God, we believe that Jesus is coming again. And we believe that when enough people have become saved, when enough people have become believers, he will return. And so help us in the meantime to live holy and godly lives. In the midst of a corrupt and wicked generation, help us to shine as stars in a black night. Strengthen us to accelerate your coming, to speed your coming, to hasten your coming by leading people to Jesus Christ. Help us to be a renewed focus of our lives in this year. It's the most important thing that we can do. God, make us effective at that. Help us to be your faithful witnesses. Help us to make an impact for Jesus Christ in this area of St. Louis in the new year. Lord, we look forward to the new heavens and new earth. We thank you that it's coming, and empower us, God, to reach those around us with the truth of Jesus in new and creative ways. In 2015, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.